Generally Speaking About the Church, episode number 23. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Generally Speaking About the Church. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and I come to you once again with another excellent sermon from Watermark Community Church, uh, which is Stephanie and I's new church. It's official. Stephanie and I both have completed the ownership applications. Uh, That's what they call membership at uh, Watermark. It's ownership. And uh, we're part owners now in the ministry that God is doing in this local body of believers. And it is so exciting to uh, have finally have made that decision and to make the commitment. And already I'm underway in the very first task that is uh, using my God-given gifts and abilities uh, in the area of technology and in uh, especially in the area of podcasting. I am currently working on producing probably, oh, I'm guessing about 40 to 50 uh, sermons from the back catalog from their uh, archives of sermon material over at Watermark, which I will be putting all of those items into the podcast format for the new Watermark Community Church podcast. And so I'm very excited about that. In fact, I am bringing to you today yet another sermon, as I had mentioned. This is actually part three uh, of a series called Desperate Households, part three of four, actually. And the title of today's sermon is called Desperate in the Bedroom. And uh, I'm very excited to share this with you guys. Uh, the, the message here is something very similar uh, to what was spoken probably uh I guess for the first time that I've ever really heard anybody speak on the topic of sex without being embarrassed and without it sounding dirty or anything like that, um, the first time I ever heard a message such as this was at the Family Life Marriage Conference a couple years ago. And uh, just really, it's really freeing to hear the truth about sex. And uh, it, it was it was comforting to know that we are part of a church now that that preaches a um, you know just is very open about about the real issues at in okay let me just calm down for just a minute okay it's nice to be a part of a church that takes head on all the issues that people face within the church I'm looking through the catalog here and I see you know. Uh, items regarding addictions and and just all kinds of um, stress and other family related issues, being single, all all of these different things that go on. Uh, just a lot of practical teaching on real life issues and the issue of sex within marriage is just a topic that I have never heard inside the church walls as far as being preached about and uh, taught about what God thinks about sex. And and I think that you'll find that this is uh, a very well-toned message as far as how you know impactful and insightful it is and it, it's not off color but but yet it it really addresses the issue of sex and marriage in, in a very real and, and open way. Uh, that may be embarrassing to some folks, but uh, I really hope that uh, if you are married that you will listen to this and uh, maybe perhaps uh, have your spouse listen to it with you 
and uh, see if it doesn't generate some good communication about uh, sex within your marriage because I really do believe uh, that, like Pastor Chad says just now, just about anybody would say that things could be a little bit better. So here's Pastor Chad now. God bless, and I'll talk to you soon. Whatever it is, I think there's no couple in this room that would say things maybe couldn't be a little bit more satisfying in the bedroom if he got real honest about it. And the amazing thing to me is that something that is so God-given, so natural, so joyful, has become something that is uh, just a major source of tension, disappointment, and frustration. There's been a breakdown in the bedroom, you know? And we're just not experiencing human sexuality as God really intended for us to experience it, you know? And I think one of the reasons that is is because for a lot of us, we don't really know how God intended it to be because we don't talk about it. And not only do we not talk about it within our marriages, it's hard for us to talk about with our kids, but most of all, the last place we talk about it is in the church. Sex is a topic the church has chosen to totally ignore, okay? I grew up in the church. As soon as I shot out of the womb, I know I was at a Sunday night service probably. And in my first 18 years of life, I never recall one time hearing a teaching or a sermon on this God-given topic of sex and how it could be enjoyed in the health and the context of a marriage. Never heard it. Now, I heard message how it was dangerous, it was bad, naughty, could be twisted and evil. And they told me how to run from girls that want to take me down the wrong path. You know, honestly, as a teenage boy, I was trying to meet those girls. You know, I, I never did. I wanted to go down that path. I couldn't find them. You know, it was just... <laughs> the girl who took the prom had a mustache. You know, it's like they weren't there. You know, but, but I was looking, you know, couldn't find it. Never heard that. It's because there's this weird vibe around the church when it comes to this topic of sex. Much like the vibe I feel right now. I feel it in this room right now. There's tension. Some, some of you are frustrated I'm talking about this, and you'll let me know about it, and that's fine. Some of you are bothered, you're nervous, you're uncomfortable. And if that's where you are, let me say something in love to you this morning. Seriously. If you have a problem talking about sex, and if you have a problem talking about sex in church, you've got a problem with God, okay? And, and here's why. Because it was his idea. He made it. God is pro-sex. What a cool God, you know? If an atheist ever comes up to you and demands, show me proof that there is a God, just go, sex. Really? What a cool God. God thought it all up. It was his idea. Sex started in heaven, you know? When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they didn't run behind a bush and make love for the first time and come out and go, God, get a load of this. And God go, get out of here. I had no idea. You mean the parts fit? Awesome. He knew. He knew. It was his idea. Yet we have this trouble discussing this subject matter, which to me is bizarre because we're bombarded by it 24-7. And the internet and TV shows like Desperate Housewives, yet for some reason we can't talk about it with our spouse. And I can't talk about it with my kids. And man, do not talk about it in the church. We have trouble talking about it, don't we? For instance, do you have trouble finding the right language to use? You know, do you use medically, anatomically, clinically correct terms like genitalia and mammary glands? Do you use that? Or do you refer, because it's more easy to use that slang you, you learn growing up in the locker room? 
Do you talk about in terms of getting some, doing the nasty? Did I just say that in church? Yeah, I did. Is, are those the terms that you use? As parents, we're all weird. We use these weird codes that are gonna really confuse our kids. We're like wee-wees and, and ta-tas and pee-pees and hoo-hoos, you know? My son's like, Daddy, do I have a hee-hee, a shoo-shoo, a roo-roo, and a tee-tee? You know, he's confused. It sounds like some children's book, Ricky tiki tavi You know, he didn't know what's going on. We're talking about sexual things. What language do you use? Or as a spouse, with your spouse, do you use euphemisms? Because you don't really wanna talk about it. You talk about, you know, that thing down there. Chris McCluskey is a licensed Christian sex therapist, which is an oxymoron in and of itself, honestly. But he tells a great story about a young couple who'd been married about eight years. They came in, they were really struggling. And he said they sat there for the first 10 minutes, heads just right to the ground. Finally, the wife kind of looked off into the corner and began to talk, no eye contact, and said, well, we're here because, you see, we, we grew up in houses where you never talked about, you know, and, and I mean, we've been, you know, for eight years, and sometimes when we, you know, I don't know if it's what it, you know, it could be, and sometimes I'm unable to, you know, and she's struggling to find this language to discuss what for them is this elephant in the room. One of the things, though, you're gonna learn about the Bible is that God has no problem talking about this. He just doesn't. The Bible is full of some very straightforward, very driven, very descriptive language about this topic. I'm gonna to show you a couple examples just to, to, to kind of show you this and affirm this, some passages that literally might make you blush a little bit. Look here beginning in Genesis 2, verses 24 through 25. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Everybody kind of know what that means? Okay, let's, let's keep moving. Okay, it says, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. See, there were one flesh. There were one flesh sexually, one flesh relationally, one flesh emotionally, one flesh spiritually, and they were naked, and there was no shame. There was, there was no guilt, no embarrassment. There's no elephant in the room. In the Bible, there's no elephant in the room when this is talked about. Song of Solomon is a great book in the Old Testament that is full of just some very sexually explicit, driven, poetic language about this topic called sex. Look with me at chapter seven, verses eight through 12. We're gonna peek in on a conversation taking place between two lovers. Let's look first from the guy's perspective of what he has to say. I feel like as I'm reading this, there'll be some Barry White soundtrack kind of, you know, going underneath this. But anyway, I, we didn't do that. Anyway, look, look what he says first. He says, he says, I will climb up into the palm tree and take hold of its branches. Okay, let's, let's read on. He says, now may your breast be like grape clusters and the scent of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine, smooth and sweet, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Guys, this is in the Bible, okay? Now some of you guys, you're still back there trying to figure out the climb up the tree, the branches type thing. Come on with me, I know it's cool, go back and think about it later, okay? Because there's more, okay? Now there's a response from the woman, from, her, from his lover. Look what she says. She says, I am my lover's, the one he desires. Come, my love, let us go out into the field and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go out into the vineyards. Let us see whether the vines have budded, whether the blossoms have opened, and whether the pomegranates are in flower. There I will give you my love. Now, I don't think I need to go back and do an original word study of the Hebrew language to paint a picture for you what's going on here, okay? My point in sharing these passages is this. This is not an elephant in the room for God. <laughs> it's not. But for many of us, it is. 
And it's not only an elephant in the room when it comes to us trying to talk about it, but in our marriage, it's become a huge elephant in the bed itself. There's an elephant in our bed. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out it's hard to have great sex when there's a big elephant laying there, you know, in the way. So what I want to do today is I want to talk, first of all, on the front end about what are some of those just elephants in our bedroom that are keeping us as husbands and wife, wives from experiencing sex in the context of marriage, which is where God ordained and designed it to be experienced, that are keeping us from experiencing it the way he intended to be experienced. The first thing is this, and it's a no-brainer for all of us, just good old-fashioned fatigue. Fatigue. We're tired. We're worn out. I came upon an article from this columnist, Megan Williams, who I think just illustrates this perfectly that you'll be able to relate to. She talks about a typical day in the life of, of a mother from a mom's perspective. Listen to this. The mom says, bad start today. Had terrible nightmare of being paper mache alive. <laughs> Woke up to find chilled soaked sheets plastered up my side and back. Discovered both girls had wet their beds, climbed at ours, and then wet again. Not enough time to strip the beds, get the kids and self-dressed, get them fed and off to daycare and work, so I opened the windows and hoped that the urine smell would be not too rancid to sleep in tonight. Husband already gone. Out of milk, juice, and bread. Stick girls in front of TV and raid the cupboard for, cupboard for edibles. While pulling down a pack of corn chips from our treat cupboard, our four-year-old spots the gummy bears and throws a tantrum. Two-year-old joins in banging head dangerously against the wall. Place bowl of gummy bears and corn chips and glasses of water in front of the kids so they could have breakfast while I went upstairs to dress. Put on gray sweater and gray pants. Noticed in the mirror that sweater's covered with dried mucus streaks from my two-year-old rubbing his nose against shoulders. Found bright flowered pattern cardigan. Put on, avoided looking in mirror. Almost out front door when two-year-old wails for bottle. Find leftover glass of juice in the back of fridge, filled bottle, and push the kids out the door as I headed to work. At my mid-morning meeting, I had a very strange, terrible thought. Was that half glass of juice I poured in the two-year-old's bottle apple juice, or was it leftover beer? Hmm. <laughs> half hour later, I phoned the daycare and calmly request to pour out the contents of the two-year-old's bottle, as I think it might have been past due date. <laughs> the worker sighs and puts me on hold, comes back and reports that the juice did indeed smell a little off. <laughs> two-year-old seemed fine. Extremely relieved that we will not be plastered on the cover of tomorrow's newspaper sitting handcuffed in a police cruiser. <laughs> 12 o'clock noon. Decide to skip lunch as my first installment toward that new pantsuit. 12.33. Pains in stomach are too strong. <laughs> Go down to food truck and bring back a jumbo fry and a corn dog. <laughs> Colleagues at next desk happily devour fries with me. Great fun. Back to work. I leave late that afternoon and make it to the daycare just before closing time. I get home, neighbor calls after dinner and asks if I want to go catch a movie. I'm tired, but I haven't been out in seven weeks, so I agreed. Later, I'm back home, too tired for coffee. Talked to my husband for the first time in 24 hours. He was in surprisingly a pretty good mood. What does he want? He's suffering from terrible allergies. He has nasal adhesive strapped to his nose that makes him look a little bit like a lab rat. In bed, I try to blot out the lab rat nose and concentrate on his more alluring features. Can't remember the last time we made love. I try to summon the energy. My husband reaches across the bed and strokes the arm invitingly, and the options begin to swing like a silent pendulum. Sex, sleep, sex, sleep, sex, sleep, sleep, okay? Now, we can relate, guys, because we're all worn out. One of the roadblocks in our bed is just good old-fashioned fatigue. We're tired. 
Many of you in this room are what I call D-I-N-S, double income, no sex. You're whipped, we're frazzled, we're going from one thing to another, and when there is maybe a one of opportunity, we're spent, we're tired, okay? It's a roadblock. Another big elephant in our bed for some of us is the past, okay? What has happened in the past can really screw up the present, can mess up current sexuality in the bedroom. For some of you, it stems from maybe being, feeling unloved as a child. Or maybe you grew up in a house where there just wasn't ever much physical affection that was expressed or displayed. Maybe sex was never taught on your house as being this good, healthy thing from God that was to be enjoyed in the context of a marriage. It was only taught as being this bad, carnal, destructive thing that you better stay away from and never experience. For some of you, and I, I hate this for you, it's because of sexual abuse. Many of you in this room have been sexually abused. And I just wanna say to you, I'm sorry that that has happened to you. I can't think of anything much worse than that. But what I wanna say to you this morning very clearly is that God did not do that, okay? God didn't do that to you. Unfortunately, somebody abused their freedom and they sinned and they hurt you severely, I know. But know that God did not do that to you and that he wants to free you from that. You can be healed from that. One of my favorite scenes ever in a movie is in Forrest Gump. I think the movie is just full of great wisdom and shows Forrest and Jenny as they've grown up. They're walking back down this country lane where they'd grown up and the demeanor's fresh. It's a beautiful day. They're laughing, walking together as friends. And just all of a sudden, the demeanor totally changes. Jenny is angry. She's frustrated. She's crying uncontrollably as she arrives at this old little wooden broken down, dilapidated house she grew up in where her father repeatedly molested her. And in that scene, she just picks up rocks and she starts just wailing them over and over and over again at that house until she finally just collapses on that pile of rocks. Forrest, in all his wisdom, he says, I guess sometimes there's just not enough rocks. And I know that's what some of you struggle with. The past can really impair the present for some of it, you, it's you go back into your history and there was a season where you just went from bed to bed to bed, sleeping with who, whoever, whenever, looking for love in, in all the wrong places. And it's part of your past that's impairing the present. And what I want to say to you is whatever that is for you, if you found any of those things in your past, please begin to unpack it, talk about it, process it. First of all, with your spouse, let them into that. And then with a professional Christian counselor. I pray that some of you this week, tomorrow morning, you will call our office and in confidence say, get me connected to somebody who can help me. We are connected to some phenomenally gifted biblical Christian counselors in this area that could begin to help you come along and unpack and process some of that stuff. And I really hope you will. Another elephant is what I would simply call unrealistic expectations, okay? Some of us getting married, we think it's going to be bliss, 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 perfection, perfection, ecstasy, ecstasy. Somebody wrote Dear Abby one time and said, Dear Abby, I'm 44 years old. I would like to meet a man my age with no bad habits. Dear Abby responded, Dear Rose, so would I. Okay? See, you and I live in a unique time historically. We really do. B- because of the internet, and DVDs and satellite TV, you and I have been exposed to more sexually explicit material and images than any culture at any other time in history. We have. We really have. And because of that, we're bringing some very unrealistic expectations into the bedroom. 
Some of us watch movies coming out of Hollywood and we think that's the way it ought to be. There's an orchestra playing in the background and there's candles all around the tub and the, the curtains are kind of blowing and it's just, it's that aha moment, you know? They never show reality. They never show a guy getting ready to bed down with his wife and getting ready to make love and she goes, get a shower, you know, before we do this. Come on, they're not gonna show that. Some people, because they watch the movies, they're approaching expecting to connect sexually with their spouse and think it's gonna be nirvana every time, 4th of July, you know? We be, should be thrilled if it's a little bit more like Groundhog Day or, or, or whatever holiday works for you, you know? Really. Some of us have unrealistic expectations because of pornography. And I'm gonna talk about this more in a few moments. But some of you guys are dabbling in that stuff. And you're looking at guys and women that the images are not even real. You know, there's, uh, there's women who are, they're airbrushed, they're nip tucked, glossed over, you know, demold, defreckled. It's not even real. And your spouse cannot compete with that. And you come to bed playing the comparison game. And him or her is never going to win that game. And it's created unrealistic expectations. Another obstacle for many of you is this, and that is unresolved conflict. Okay? Some of you have allowed conflict to get to a place where you've gotten unusually comfortable without it being resolved. And when that happens, a couple just does this. Over time, they drift further and further apart. There's more distance, more disconnection, more detachment. And that can, that can go on for years. Instead of conversation, there's nothing but silence. Instead of words of an encouragement and affirmation, there's nothing but criticism and nagging and words of hostility. You know, instead of, instead of building bridges, the only thing getting built is walls and a bunch of defenses. And couples let this go on for years. They really do. Much like a couple that was in their 90s. There was a couple in their 90s that came before a judge one day after 70 years of marriage and said, we want to get divorced. And the judge, I mean, he was really grieving over this. He's like, you've you got to be kidding me. You've made it this long. I mean, what's the deal? Why? Why now? They said, well, we, we never really were happy but we wanted to wait to do this until the children died. <laughs> you know? It's an elephant in the room. Thanks, Earl. Thank you. Okay? These are elephants. Fatigue and conflict and unrealistic expectations and all this stuff. But there's one other one. This is one we hit on a little bit last week. Male and female differences. Okay? We are different. Okay? It's, it's a no-brainer. Now, God made men and women in his own image, okay? And he equally loves us, but we're different, okay? Now, it's no secret that we're different physically. You, you can go ahead and get a biology 101 textbook, you can figure it out pretty quick. The plumbing's all different, okay? But we're different in other ways. We're, we're different um, emotionally. Ladies, you're never gonna hear a guy say, I just wanna be held, Okay? He's just, it's not gonna happen. You can dream about it, it will never happen. Men, okay, when your wife says, I just wanna be held, what she's really saying is, I just wanna be held. Okay, that's really what she's saying. We're different, we're different. We're different sexually, okay? Men tend to be turned on generally visually. We're visual. Women tend to get turned on more emotionally, relationally. And I was thinking about the difference in our sex drives, okay? I was trying to think of some good word pictures that would just communicate how different our sex drives really are. When I think of a man's sex drive, this is the picture that comes to my mind. We're like a microwave, you know? You can turn it on like that, like a light switch, out of nowhere, at two in the morning, you know? And your wife's like, where did this come from? Aren't you tired, you know? 
Women are different. A woman's sex drive is more like this. <laughs> it's like a crock pot, you know? It, it, it needs some time to heat up, to warm up. It's like an iron. See, we're, we're different. We're different. There was a guy one day who had been feeling ill for weeks, and he went to his doctor. He said, something's not right with me. They ran him through a battery of tests, and he put him back in. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. You've only got 18 hours left to live. Guy's shocked. He goes home, he tells his wife, they cry together, they pray together, they're trying to just process this. A few hours later, he says, honey, you know, I've, I've only got 15 hours left to live. Do you think we could be intimate together? Could we have sex, make love? She says, oh, honey, absolutely. I mean, anything for you. I mean, oh, you know. And they have this great passion of lovemaking. It's beautiful, it's emotionally driven. It's great. A few hours later, he comes to her and he says, honey, you know, I've only got eight hours left to live. Do you think we could be together again? Honey, anything for you, absolutely. It's fireworks, it's beautiful, they're crying. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. They kiss goodnight, they go to sleep for the night. He's laying there tossing and turning. He's looking at his watch every five seconds. Finally, he taps her on the shoulder and he said, honey, could we be intimate together one more time? I've only got three hours left to live. She says, no, we can't. We've been together two times. We're not gonna be together a third time. And besides, I have to get up in the morning, and you don't. <laughs> We're different. We're different. <laughs> All that being said, okay, the Bible has a lot to say about great sex, how we achieve it, and what it looks like biblically. And today I want us to simply get our arms around that and to try to reach for that, okay? The Bible says that this thing called sex between a husband and wife can be mutually enjoyed, mutually experienced, mutually satisfying. The Bible's got a lot to say about great sex. Now before I jump into this, we're gonna be looking basically at the fourth chapter of that book in the Old Testament called The Song of Solomon, is what we're gonna unpack in our teaching today. And one of the commentaries I was using in my preparation this week for this message is called the International Bible Commentary by a guy by the name of F.F. F. Bruce. And I just want you to read what he says about uh, this chapter we're gonna study. Interesting what he says. He says, these passages are not suitable for reading in church, and scripture union wisely omits them from the family readings, okay? No offense to F.F. F. Bruce, but we're reading them, okay? And because what he believes is out of bounds, has no place in church, I think is an incredible launching pad for teaching some very important biblical principles. And so we're gonna unpack from the Bible today just some great biblical thoughts about great sex. Are you ready? I don't know if you are, but, but here we go, okay? First thing is this. We're gonna learn from this interchange here between these two lovers that great sex starts before the bedroom. Men, it's not a misprint, okay? Before the bedroom. It starts long before you lay a hand on each other. Okay, when we peek in on this guy in a minute, you're gonna see him encouraging his bride, praising her, affirming her, building her up. He doesn't even lay a finger on her until like verse 11, okay? Look what he says beginning in verse one. This is hot. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling, okay? Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats. Not to be confused with flock of seagulls. That was a band in the 80s, okay? Anyway, okay, he says, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. What he's saying is, babe, he got great hair, okay? 
Now, this needs a little explanation, I know, okay? Back in that time, in that region, that region was known for having the most beautiful, long-haired black goats in anywhere, okay? They were known for that. And so, when a lover is saying to his bride, your hair is like a flock of goats, what he's saying is, your hair, it's like, you got like Vidal Sassoon, Paul Mitchell kind of hair. It's hot, okay? He's complimenting her. Okay, he's complimenting her. He's building her up and he doesn't stop. The compliments continue. If you go to the next verse in verse two, this is by far the most incredible compliment in all the Bible. This is rich. Look what he says here. He says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Coming up from the washing. We got it going on, baby. Barry White. See, we need Barry White playing. I wish I'd done this. He says, each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Don't you love this? What's, what's he saying? He's saying, you got all your teeth. <laughs> and that's hot. It's hot. Man. I mean, they're all there. There's one there and there's one over there. Each one's got its partner. Your teeth, they're all, it's amazing. And you have to think back then, that is a huge accomplishment. There's no dentist back then. A woman had all her teeth. Yowza, bring it on. You know? What's he doing though? What's he doing here? He's complimenting her. He's building her up. He's praising her long before he ever lays a finger on her, long before the bedroom, okay? And guys, we need to learn from this guy. He understands this biblical principle that sex begins way before the bedroom. I want us to look at a guy on the screen here, though, that hasn't quite unpacked this truth yet. He messes up. Let's look at this. Typical guy. On a daily basis and on a weekly basis. And the odd thing is, the things that they want that to be filled with are not a big deal to me, but they sure are to her, okay? Fill it with things like out of the blue one day, just calling and taking time out of a busy day and saying, hey, honey, how's your day? Kids doing all right? They burn anything down yet? They pee on the wall? I mean, is everything, everything under control? I was just thinking about you. Just wanted to see if you are doing all right. Look forward to seeing you in a little bit. Love you. Dropping a card in her purse that she might not find for a, a couple days. It's just some simple words of encouragement and affirmation. Offering to, to, to do the bath time, which at our house is a, oh, you'd rather lay in a tub of scissors. It's crazy, you know, and you're tired and trying to do that and chasing wet pigs all around the house. It's nuts. Coming home and saying, you know, honey, I can tell you've had a long couple of days. I'm coming home. I'm going to bring the kids dinner. Go to move with one of your friends and get out of here and have conversation. Fill in that tank. And what happens, guys, when you begin to fill that emotional tank, when there is a window of opportunity for your wife to respond to you physically and to make love, she'll be able to do with you not out of duty but out of delight. Who knew, you know, because you're filling that tank. Guys, another thing that women uh, need is what's called non-sexual touching, I promise this is real, it really, it, it exists. It's, it's touching with no sexual strings attached. It's a, it's a simple caress, it's a, it's a hug with no it's it, nothing expected in return, okay? This guy's teaching us sex starts way before the bedroom. Notice he doesn't say, hey baby, you got great hair, your teeth are awesome, let's get it on, okay, no. He continues to compliment her. Look at what he says in verse three, and he compliments her very specifically. He's not just going, yeah, it's great, pay a nice dress, love the gown, let's do this. He's really taking time to intentionally praise her and lift her up. Look what he says in verse three. He says, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Obviously before Botox, okay? <laughs> Basically he's saying, you're flushed, you're, you're red with passion and excitement. He's building her up long before he ever touches her. 
And he's teaching us loud and clear that sex starts long before the bedroom. Tony said a few weeks ago, sex starts in the morning, okay? And fill that tank, okay? Second thing is this. Great sex is passionate. Look what he says in verse six. He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. What's he saying here? Okay, let me translate biblically what he's saying. He's saying, all night long, okay? That's what he's saying. He's saying, all night long, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. I will not explain to you what that means. You can figure it out, okay? But this is a passionate verse between he and his bride. Passionate. What's interesting is if you go back and you look at all the historical writings connected to sex and sexuality, they're almost always directly tied to procreation for the purpose of having kids and making babies. When you look to the Bible, you don't see that at all. Most of the time in the Bible, lovemaking is just tied to being this raw, holy, passionate, awesome kind of thing. You may not know this. God's primary purpose for giving us the gift of sex was not for having kids. Some of us think that's the only thing it's good for. Well, I made a kid, you know. His primary purpose for us was for just sheer pleasure between a husband and wife. What a cool God. His secondary purpose was to make babies, and we've gotten that confused. We've, we've got to reignite that passion somehow. Remember when you were newlyweds and you're dating? Couldn't keep your hands off each other? I mean, you're nuts. It's like Mount St. Helen ready to erupt 24-7. But then what happens? It's like life happens. You get kids, you get jobs, you get responsibilities. There's house payments, car payments, there's just life. There's a calendar, you're a human taxi to your kids. We've got to somehow reignite the passion. And I really believe that that is why God gave us Barney videos, okay? Here's what I mean. You ever use a Barney video? Okay, it's a way to reignite the passion, I'm serious. If you got little ones, it works. Say, Barney show time, come on! You put in that Barney video, you got 30 minutes. You race up the stairs. If you're a big guy, you only got about 15 minutes because he takes you 15 minutes to just catch your breath and quit sweating so much so you can do something else, okay? But the kids are watching the video and you can work quickly. Now the problem with that is, my wife and every time we see a Barney video, we wanna make out, you know? Which, which isn't bad, you know? Some of you are laughing nervously because you put in a Barney video yourself, you know you have, you know? But it's not a bad thing, except for the time we were at Circuit City and Barney was on all the screens. That was embarrassing, you know? You know? But, but it works. Whatever, though, we've got to work intentionally to reignite the passion, okay? Thirdly, great sex is built on absolute trust. And I'm gonna camp out here for a while because this is big. Look what is said in verse seven. He says, all beautiful you are, my darling. I love that. All beautiful you are. This is beautiful, because you know what he's doing here? He's reassuring his spouse. He's building her confidence. He's reassuring her because she's insecure. If you go back to chapter one of this book in the Bible, you'll see that she was very insecure about her body. She'd been out in the sun, she was very uncomfortable about her skin, and she needed some reassurance. And that's what he's doing here. And guys, we've got to do this with our wives. We need to assure them it's important because our wives are living in a world where they're reading People magazine and they're watching things on TV. Once again, of, of women, images of women, they're just not real. They've been glossed, airbrushed, defreckled, demold, pumped up, tucked down. It's, it's not real. And she can't compete with that. You've got to reassure your bride. Tell her, I, I love that stretch mark. I really do. When I look at that, it reminds me of, of a great sacrifice you made for, for our kids and for me that we could have a family. I love that. I love a little something, something extra to hold on to. I like it, I like all of it, I really do. Women, you need to reassure your husband. 
And every guy in the room is gonna hate me for what I'm about to say, but I don't care. Guys are so insecure. We really are, ladies. We need assurance. Your husband needs assurance. He needs assurance that he's pleasing you. He needs assurance that he's performing well. There's one or two other things he needs some assurance about that I won't mention from the stage, but he needs that from you. He really does. And what I wanna say to the ladies for a moment, I want you to really listen. I know sometimes you have trouble to understand that men, it seems like, for some reason, crave sex so much more than a woman. They do, and that's how God has wired us, okay? But you need to understand there is an emotional side of sex for a man, whether you believe it or not. When you receive a man, you translate to him love and acceptance. And when you reject a man, he's really feeling like he's less of a man. And when you reject him over a long period of time, him going without that is like you uh, dealing with silence and no conversation ever. It really is. And the big crisis isn't the frequency of relations. The crisis is the longer you begin to reject your husband, there's gonna be issues because of this. When your husband married you, you as his bride became his only legitimate source of sexual fulfillment. Anywhere he goes besides you is a sin. Do you realize that? It's a sin. Now I'm not saying if he's dabbling in pornography or having an affair, you caused him to sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when you reject him of that over and over and over again, you're opening a huge door for him to go find that somewhere else, and he will. I talk to couples and they'll be like, well, because of this or this in our past, my husband's so understanding, we never have intercourse. He's just so great about it. And I know underneath the surface, that guy isn't great with that. He, he's getting a snack somewhere. And it's either gonna be with another woman or it's gonna be a swan dive into pornography. Okay, all that I'm saying is, if you're gonna build trust, you've gotta talk about these things as a couple. If you need help navigating through it, get a counselor involved. Once again, call us this week, we'll get you connected to one. Now on a side note, okay, absolute trust will never be gained if one or both of you is involved with pornography. It won't be, okay, it just won't be. When you bring pornography into the bedroom and you're dabbling in that stuff, the bedroom will be a place of deception, relationships will be counterfeit, the comparison game takes place, and pornography's easy because it doesn't take any work. It doesn't take any emotion. He or she doesn't talk back to you. When you're done, you're done, you just turn the computer off. It's safe. And it's robbing couples of trust and any kind of sex in your marriage. I just wanna encourage you, get some help for that. A Couple times in the history of the church, I've talked about my temptation with that, and that really bothers some of you, and I have no idea why, because this church isn't about me, I'm not trying to get people to follow me. People say, your reputation's at stake. No, it's not, okay? I'm gonna tell you guys and you women, two or three years ago, I, I was so tempted with internet pornography. My wife was not a computer person, and so when you can sit and look at that stuff in privacy all day long and nobody know, it's like putting al an alcoholic in a bar and saying, hey, it's all in the house today. You know? And I realized real quick, this is gonna eat me alive. It was one of the hardest things I ever did to say, Tara, I need to talk to you about something. I'm looking at this stuff. And it took a long time to rebuild some trust in our relationship, honestly. But some great steps I was able to take. I was able to get some filtering on my computer that you can ask the guys I work with. It's frustrating at times because I can't even go to Google or MySpace because it's like blocked, you know, perv, you know, or whatever. But, but, I, but it helps me. It's a safeguard. It's accountability. I've got a dear friend here, Tom Mann, who, who gets all my websites I go to. 
It just automatically, that device sends him once a week a report of everywhere I've been. And so he can come to me and say, hey, you've been boobies.org or, or whatever it is. This isn't good. I've got some guys who know my situation, who will speak truth to me, who when I go on the road and I'm in a hotel, they'll hold me accountable. You need that. And so what I want to tell you is, and it's for men and women, it's, it's men more because we're so visually wired, but if you're, if you're being devoured by that, and probably 80% of you in this room are looking at it, I just know you are, don't be ashamed of that. The church has got to figure out a way how to minister to this because it's, it's a huge epidemic. It's, the, it's what alcoholism was 20 years ago, and it's eaten people alive, many of you in this room. But get help. Have the confidence to tell your spouse. Tell them. Get some accountability. Let us hook you up with a counselor, and you can be freed from that. You really can. And I'll, I'll be one who can tell you that from firsthand. Okay? Absolute trust. Fourth thing is this. Great sex is sensuous. Okay, look at verses 9, 10, and 11. He says to her, you've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. Let me call a time out here. They're not from Kentucky, okay? (laughs) They're not not really siblings, okay? It's just poetic language, okay? He says, you've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. In other words, he's saying, you had me at hello, okay? With one jewel of your necklace. Verse 10, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride, How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice? Verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. That's hot. That's some hot, steamy language. Some of you guys are going, yeah, Chab, I mean, I ain't no Romeo, you know? That's fine, but you married Juliet, okay? And she wants to be romanced. She's also interested in the emotional side of lovemaking, so we gotta work at this thing. Now be careful when you start working at this. I made a major mistake a couple years ago when I said I'm gonna work at this sensuous thing. I uh, got somebody to watch our kids, and I thought I'm gonna beat Tara home, and I'm gonna answer the door wearing nothing but oven mitts, okay? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and when she opens the door, I'm gonna say, you're gonna need these, because I'm gonna be too hot to handle, okay? <laughs> All right? Doorbell rings, the moment has come, and today I'm getting sued by UPS. (laughs) So be careful, be careful. One of the things though that that my wife loves is every now and then, we'll just go to a hotel for a night here in Northern Kentucky. It's worth 80 bucks or whatever to get out. First of all, we get great sleep. You can make the room really dark. You can put the air conditioner on like 40 and you don't care. You don't make the bed. You can just throw crap everywhere on the floor. It's awesome get room service, breakfast in bed. But you can't always make that work and it gets harder when you have kids because you'll call somebody to watch your kids and people, they see your name on the call ID and they're like, don't pick up, it's the Cadells. They want us to watch their kids. Their boys are, they're, they're insane. Their son, Casey, he'll talk to you for like nine, nine hours straight. Don't, don't pick up the phone. Don't, don't pick up. So you gotta get a little creative. So when I thought, I'm gonna get a little creative. I'm gonna create that experience right here in our house. I went out into the Dollar Tree and I got some little chocolates and I put them all over our room, lit some candles, had a little music going on. Went to Kroger and got a cheese ball. I had the right, I had the right kind of knife for it even, you know? There's a special knife for the cheese ball. Had all that there, some, some flowers. And uh, got the kids together, Casey and Cameron said, hey guys, we'll play a game tonight. It's called going to bed at 6.30. It's gonna be awesome, you know? Gave them a little NyQuil and uh, that was... That was, gosh, that was two weeks ago. Casey's still asleep actually at home. We didn't even bring him today. He's growing a beard. He's like six feet tall. He's just been sleeping forever. But uh, 
get them put down, take her upstairs, and she walks in, she's like, oh my gosh, you did this for me? I'm like, yeah. It costs like five bucks, you know, not $100 at a hotel, but it was creative, it was what she liked. It was a great night to experience some of that stuff and maybe something else, you know, if the night progresses correctly. You know, creative, working at the sensuous thing. Now, guys, men, I want to challenge you. Vary your approach. If we're going to do this sensuous thing, you got to mix it up. You can't do the same approach you've had for 14 years, splashing on a little musk and say, hey, you want to come get some of this? Come on. It don't work anymore, okay? She's not impressed. Women, I want to talk to you, though. While a guy can vary his approach... You can initiate, okay? You can initiate. Anybody remember this guy? Gomer Pyle, okay? Now some of you are going, what does that face have to do with sensuous, all right? Okay, here's, here's, what it, here's what it has, here's the connection, okay? Ladies, you can initiate. One night, just walk into room, wearing a bathrobe with nothing underneath it, and you pull off the old surprise, surprise, surprise. Your husband will worship like he has never worshiped before, okay? You gotta work at it. Ladies, you can initiate. Guys, we can vary the approach, okay? Now, all that being said, lock in with me here. I know that right now in this room, there are a range of emotions blazing in this place. Some of you feel anger right now over this topic. Some of you feel doubt. Some of you just feel this locked up frustration. Some of you feel guilt. Some of you are just in kind of denial, numb, shutdown mode on this topic. Others of you are looking at it going, yeah, this is great, Chad. Nice idealistic message. Ain't gonna work in our situation. Nothing's changing. You've kind of given up on the possibility of a God-ordained, God-driven marriage that is sexually what he wanted it to be. You've just kind of thrown the idea away. Some of you are consumed with shame because you're hooked on pornography you're addicted to masturbation, and you brought some things into the bedroom that just shouldn't be there. But what I want to say to you is, wherever you're at right now, whatever your situation, whatever your roadblock, Jesus has the power to free you from that. And it's not his intention for you to live in bondage to any of those things. He's all about the new. He's about letting the past go and doing something new, and he can do a new work in this area of your life as well if you let him. Look at this great verse from John 8, 36. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love that verse. Because it reminds us that no matter how great the hurt, no matter how great the pain, the frustration, the obstacle, no matter how much you're tied to that sinful pattern, God can free you from that. He can breathe in the new into your life, into your marriage into your bedroom. And and when his presence takes up shop and residence in your life, the Bible says he can renew your mind. He, he He can change your thinking. He can give you what you've always wanted if you let him. And what I wanna do for a moment is just pray for you individually and as couples right now that he'll begin to do that. Right now, right now, would you pray with me? Jesus, right now, we need you to do that which only you can do. Lord, I pray for folks in here right now who have stepped outside the boundaries of marriage and they're in adultery right now. And I pray today that you just give them the the confidence and the courage to confess that to you, to confess it to their spouse, 
and to get help. I pray for those in this room who are addicted to pornography. They're addicted to masturbation. And they've invited some things into the marriage that just should not be there sexually. I just pray right now that your presence would bring healing. God, I pray for those here who are married and their marriage is way more dead than it is alive and there's really no intimacy. God, would you just pour into their marriage emotional intimacy, relational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, so that physical intimacy can happen out of the overflow of that. God, right now in your presence, we just seek you. We pray for your forgiveness. And we pray for your freedom that you offer to set us free from these things that have just enslaved us. We're living in bondage. Living in bondage to sexual addiction and impurity. Some of us living chained to just the sin of routine and familiarity. Enslaved to pride and things from the past that won't let things change. And God, right now I pray a prayer of just supernatural faith for marriages right now that are struggling, some that are even dying right now, and that in them you would infuse new life and new hope. God, what we're trying to pray is what I think is one of the most powerful prayers in the world, and it's a two-word prayer that simply says, help me. God, help us, would you? Help us. And then, God, we wanna pray one other two-word prayer that I think is equally powerful And it's simply a prayer of thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for this amazing gift of sex that you designed, that you thought up. Help us to experience it the way you intended for us to experience it, with all the fulfillment, all the joy, all the pleasure within the context of the marriage bed. God, The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And man, this is one of them. And we say thanks. This show is brought to you by Talk Shoe. Create your own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com.